0: Biohacking. Performance. Mastery. Mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's Joel from The Hack Life. I'm here with Dr. Jennings, jaw specialist, TMJ specialist, dental orthodontic, Orthopedist. Orthopedist specialist. All right. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, so I'm super excited to interview you. I've, I've known you for like over almost, well, like three years, right? I've been coming to see you for my jaw specifically. And we'll get into that. I mean, the reason for me was I started snoring. I turned 30 years old. And I married my wife. And then the next thing I know, she says, Joel, you're snoring. Like (laughs) this didn't happen until you married me, (laughs) until like the day I said I do. Then And it was like I turned 30 and I started snoring. And I didn't know know what to do. Um, So I had done a lot of research. And then luckily I heard you on Dave Asprey's podcast talking about the jaw and all these other things. And I figured, well, if I'm going to get my jaw realigned, assuming that maybe that's a problem, I don't know. I tried doing all the stupid things that people can do, putting a tennis ball on my back, uh, put we're wearing socks. Uh, I wasn't overweight, which is something they always say. So I'm like, let me let me go see Dr. Jennings. And so yeah, it's been an amazing experience. My I think probably after seeing you just three times or something, I stopped snoring. And there's a lot of other downstream effects that we can talk about. But just to get things started, I thought um, I always like to like understand kind of where you came from and the why, like what was the day or or the moment that you realized, you know what, I want to devote my life to dentistry?
1: Yeah, so I was a math major in college. And uh, I tutored most of my way through college. And I got finished college and knew I didn't want to teach. I'd gotten tired of teaching with all my tutoring I'd done. And a number of my classmates were applying to dental school. So I thought, ah, that sounds good. I'll go to dental school. <laughs> and, uh, but even in dental school, I was, uh, even before I went to dental school, I went and reviewed their research lab. And I was looking at something beyond dental school. And actually, after dental school, I spent a couple years in law school. And, uh, but eventually, I, relocated up into the Sierra foothills in a small town and uh, was a general dentist for 10 years. And during that time, actually just within a year out of school, I started doing some jaw orthopedic uh, treatment. I learned a lot of European-type orthodontics, which is treating jaw uh, without braces. And you need all those skills to do what I do today. And 10 years in, um, I limited my practice to jaw pain management and jaw orthopedics, dental medicine. And so I've been doing it for, since
0: 1986 full time. Wow. Something you said is that, so some of the techniques you learned was like from the European dentistry? Correct. So I'm just curious because again, you're the only, like when I, when I think of what you do, like you're not just even calling you like a dental orthopedist or orthodontist, like it's almost like limiting you. Like to me, it's like, that's not what he does. That would, that's what like normal people do. Like he does beyond that. Like, you don't understand. I feel like you're the only person in the world I know that does what you do. So, like, how, how did you come about learning specifically some of the things that you do? And it doesn't seem like anyone else does this. Yeah, so what got me started was um, probably
1: a couple years after I started doing this, I was working with a couple of physicians on chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia syndrome. And I had a case history. I treated a young, uh, young lady was in an automobile accident, whiplash injury and for migraines and a year into treatment she says i never told you this when i started she says but i've had seizures six times a year all my life since i was a child and but since you put this mouthpiece in i haven't had a single seizure and i I ran this by one of the physicians i was working with on the fibromyalgia project with and he says oh that's a substance p phenomenon he says (laughs) he says you lowered you lowered your substance P." he's a really bright guy And uh, so I've been looking at substance P for over 25 years, and there's nobody else that I know of that's focused as heavily on it. And it's given me just massive, tremendous insights into what we can do and what I do do and how it affects different systems in the body. So
0: cool. So on that note, substance P. Let's talk about substance P and what it is. I'm sure most of the audience has never even heard of substance P. And I'll tell you this because uh, when I met you, I'm just one of those guys who, like, when I learn something, I'm like, I really want to like learn more. And so after I came to your office, you showed me that book that you're that about book. to show the camera. And uh, substance P in the nervous system. I went online, like, typed you know substance P, found nothing on it, and so I couldn't <laughs> find anything. There's not a book, nothing. It's and not, not, not very good summaries
1: anywhere, right?
0: Yeah. So talk about substance P, what it is, and uh, and then the other thing is that's curious to my mind is like, why isn't there a book on it? Why can't I find anything? Because I think most people are going to think, Dr. Jennings, that guy is a quack. Substance P doesn't exist. It's all made up, right?
1: So substance P was discovered in 1931. Um, and they didn't start looking at it closely until 1980. It's a neurotransmitter, 11 amino acid neurotransmitter. And it's the primary neurotransmitter associated with pain. So the Pain fibers in your body are called C fibers. And so when you poke the skin on somebody and cause tissue injury damage or pressure, there's an electrical signal that goes both locally and to the brain. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that electrical signal, it pumps out substance P. And so substance P is the mediator between the stimulus and brain and body functions. Um, Substance P level... uh, is your primary neurotransmitter associated with sensory input into the brain. And the body runs on sensory information. So this is a very, very important compound as to regulating all the body's functions. So it's known to be a primary mediator of inflammation. It What it does is it opens up and depolarizes cell membranes. So as cell membranes become porous, then stuff leaks out of the cell, and that's redness, edema, swelling. Uh, when it, it lets calcium influx into cells, and that messes with mitochondrial function. Uh, so you get uh, replication errors, you know, cancerous-type conditions. Um, you get uh, ATP, drop in ATP production. Uh, you can't maintain uh, cell membrane integrity, so the, so you start accumulating heavy metals. So, so there's Leaky a, gut, leaky, everything is like leaky, leaky gut. And yeah. then
0: something else you mentioned to me was like the brain too, right? Brain,
1: brain barrier. Brain-blood barrier is interfered with with substance P. And then when you interfere with brain-blood barrier and elevated substance P, then you start getting uh, brain cells dying off, and that's Parkinson's, all your neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's,
0: um, MS, all, this, all those different things start happening. So if any of us wanted to look up substance P, though, if there's anything more, is there any place you can research more? I'm just curious. Like You so, have the so, one orange book here in your library. <laughs> that's it. It doesn't. There's nowhere else to get it.
1: So pub, <laughs> PubMed, the National Library of Medicine? Yeah. If you go to pubmed.com and you, there's a search screen, you, so you can ter- search for either substance P, which there's over 24,000 articles, or if you, you can search for substance P and say fibromyalgia or substance P okay. and cancer, a lot of different things you can search for. You'll, you'll find a lot of abstracts and scientific articles.
0: And is there a way that we can quantify substance P in the body? Can you like, measure it with saliva, blood? Is there any way we can actually that out? There's a
1: blood test and quest is the only um company that does it, diagnostic uh, lab company that does it It's a blood test
0: Do you, have you found that it's like that's pretty accurate or
1: so so quest uh they tell you when you get the form back they tell you that 1720 units is uh normal but they've admitted to me that that's wrong <laughs> but they've never they've never corrected it um but it seems that the normal level should be about 150 or less in the body okay yeah most of my patients come in from about that are in chronic pain.
0: Come in from about three fifty to six fifty. They've gotten it measured. Yeah, we, they'll, we, they'll they'll tell you like right. okay. Does I mean, now I'm just curious like if someone goes to Quest mm-hmm. and they they get a substance P like that high, do they say does Quest tell them like you should go see this guy <laughs> like or mm-hmm. do you, or, or do they like based on do they Google substance P and then see your name I'm, you know
1: uh yeah probably neither none of the above um because they would unless they are in the know they would look at quest form and quest form is going to tell them that seventeen twenty is normal and so they'll think they're within normal range even Uh. when they're 350 to 650 i just had a patient come back with 2100 though whoa uh and we think quest probably did the test wrong but we'll, we'll we'll
0: she'll run it she's gonna run it again very cool yeah um so another another thing so talk about the jaw and and, and tmj uh, that's what commonly just referred to that that the tmj the, right. the bite basically right. and why that is such a high producer of substance p and then the reason why uh, as we as you've just laid out why substance p is such a huge problem so if you're not regulating substance p you could have all these issues um autism would be pro- i mean vitiligo park uh, seizures all these things Uh, it's a mitochondrial disorder at the end of the day so talk about um yeah the bite and and how you've you kind of figured that out
1: so um as i was developing my theories and working developing learning to treat patients there was a big question in my mind is 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 there a range we can treat people to or is there a precise spot that you should treat people to and when you decompress the joint when you so th- so the problem these days is most humans are born with the jaw too far back mm-hmm. all primitive humans a bit tip to tip end on end and these days we all have varying degrees of overbites and a few of us have underbites but the the overbites are usually dysfunctional there's biomechanical reasons why we need must, should and do better bite and tip to tip the muscles attached to our lower jaw to be strongest whenever they have to service the furthest point from your joint when that's when you're biting out tip to tip so muscles attach to be strongest that's when they're relaxed when you're tip to tip so when you wade into the system and are changing bites and you're trying to find out where those muscles are most relaxed it's almost always when people are end on end mm. what like primitive humans to be. there's a biomechanical functional unit here that dictates that we need to be bite tip to tip um And so these days as humans' jaws go off, uh, it starts, your temporalis muscle is the one that pulls your jaw back. So it Mm -hmm. becomes hyperactive. It's tonically contracted and overstimulated. And this sensory zone here, from here to here and ear to ear, your trigeminal nerve has 100 times more dense pain fibers than any other part of your body. So when this nerve becomes hyperactive, it triggers your substance P levels to start rising in your body. Your masseter muscle, your cheek muscle here, is the only muscle in the body when irritated will cause a spreading cascade of elevated substance P. Wow. So it goes from the trigeminal to the ganglion to the brain and down the spinal cord. So like in fibromyalgia, the substance P levels are three to five times normal in the spinal fluid. And then people just hurt all over. And Ah. and the physicians say they can't find what's wrong because they're not really looking at the research. And the fact that people haven't heard of substance P is because there's no pharmaceutical remedy. Right. And so since there's no pharmacy, nobody goes there, nobody thinks about it, nobody talks about it because there's nothing they know, know to do with it. There is, in fact, a substance P antagonist called a prepotant, and it, but it's only approved for severe nausea after chemotherapy. Mm. So it's a $250 pill. Uh, for one pill? For one pill. <laughs> <laughs> but they are starting to use it a lot. Off-label for a lot of different things, cancer treatment and other uh, uh,
0: ailments. Wow. A couple of things you said, I just want to unpack, uh, talking about the sensory system of the body. Um, a lot of the work that I've been doing lately, uh, specifically with uh, NuFit, which is uh, an electric stim machine that I use, um, the sensory system is huge because it. Ta- we're talking about how we perceive the world, right? In a mm-hmm. sense of, do we feel safe? Or, and- if the body is in constantly in fight or flight, it thinks that because your substance P is so high, you're going to have all of these issues that we're talking about. We don't even, we might not even know. And like you said, right? Like you might think, you know, every day you're, you're fine. I'm not stressed or whatever. I'm breathing, but there's mechanical issues in your body that's causing you to perceive or be in a state of fight or flight. You can have a lot of problems. Yes. Um, so I think that's, that's just fascinating. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, in a, in a training I just recently did, we were talking about this the other day, you talked about the masseter muscle and the temporal lobe. Um, so one of the things we do as new fit practitioners, people, we use muscle testing and we use uh, muscle, muscle testing and then muscle activations to open up areas. And I was thinking of it like a garden hose. So if, it, if the garden hose is kinked, then the electrical impulses can't get through. And some of these activations can kind of help open up that, that garden hose and let that nerve flow through. So one of the things we were talking about was actually activating the masseter and the temporal lobe, through the things in the TMJ. And it was fascinating is that one of the patients, we did a muscle test on her psoas and she tested super weak. Like we were just able to push the leg down, no problem. After activating, just by simply activating the the masseter and the the temporal lobe of the uh, the jaw, um, she held strong the second time. So it's just fascinating like how this is all interconnected, you know? So- Part of the, there's a couple of
1: interactions here that are real important. You don't need to know a lot about the brain. There's just only a few things that are really important in the brain. One of them is a the reticular formation, and that's your reptilian brain. And your reticular formation is your center of sensory integration. Um, and so we see a lot of sensory processing disorders with jaw dysfunction because the jaw alignment sensors, which they call proprioceptors, mm. feed heavily into the reticular formation. Um also, the, there's, a, there's a special, um, I guess this is real important, but it's important to understand that as we developed as humans, jaw alignment was prioritized. So the jaw alignment sensors, your trigeminal proprioceptors, are the only sensory cell bodies in the brain. So your sensory cell bodies for your eyes, ears, and skin are out in the ganglion, but your jaw alignment sensors are in the brain. Wow. Right, And they're right by the reticular formation, and they have a massive effect on sensory processing. And more importantly, perhaps more importantly, they're paired side by side with your locus ceruleus, which is your sympathetic ganglion in your brain your primary center of norepinephrine so when the jaw alignment is off and it's overstimulated it bleeds over and affects the locus cerealis and you see panic attacks anxiety disorders fight or flight and these people are always on an agitated level and can't ever calm down
0: is there a reason in, from an evolutionary standpoint that you think that I'm just now just out of curiosity you think that 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 was what was the re, is there any reasoning you think that the jaw think, was connected to the brain I mean that's huge I think, I think we developed just as an aging machine <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all about being able to just keep eating. Yeah. Right. That's the very fundamental essential part of life. And so there's highly protective sensors
0: on on the chewing apparatus. So if uh, talking about evolution and you always think that well for the most part we think for the better we're always evolving better and getting better why are we evolving in a sense why are we seeing so much overbite i i haven't met a dentist they're the first dentist that i've ever met that said yeah we should be biting tip to tip and it seems like if i now i'm, I'm very aware of it i start to look around and i see everyone has an overbite um why have we started almost devolving in a sense so there's like this there's a book on
1: it <clears throat> um that's what this goes into and it's all about how humans have acceleratedly degenerated for the last 200 years at a very fast pace. <laughs> um, and it's all about recent studies showing all the way around the world that children are much worse than their parents, right? So they're, we're degenerating at a very rapid pace. Um, and they think it's primarily due to soft diets. So they think we're in what we call an industrialized diet, and the food is just processed too much, ground up too much, and we're just not working hard enough when we're chewing uh, to stimulate this, and so there's epigenetic shifts going on that, that are changing us every generation, uh, and we're at a critical point, you know, uh, that's 60% of the population now has snoring or sleep apnea at age 60, mm-hmm. by age 60, and so we're, we're getting very compromised. Um, and the, as that impacts substance P, is going to have a massive influence on health. There's a Kaiser study done showing that people with jaw dysfunction have very high medical utilization rates. Uh, like for the ENT uh, complaints, they went four times as frequent as non-TMJ patients. Mm-hmm. um and it runs runs the possibility of being able to you know bankrupt this country, I think, just from health care costs uh substance p where it depolarizes cell membranes is the cause of hypersensitivity allergies autoimmune disorders, which the medical community is not acknowledging um and and it's it's just going to be a major major uh, problem uh, if you just look at the number of kids with asthma these days mm. um and allergies and food sensitivities and you know
0: now is that that talk about the depolarization is that from do you is that also from that um that photo you showed me that you blew up is that is that a good time to show that or i don't might, i'm, I'm might not much sure. show
1: that this is more just about substance p where it comes from in the body right when you poke the skin electrical signals go to the brain but both in the brain and locally there's all substance P release and it's substance P attacking mast cells that causes histamine release. Yes. your Allergies. Right? I've heard
0: about like mast cell as a nutrition coach. I've heard about like mast cell attack is where it's just right. like your body just forms all these mast cells and it just releases histamine and it, you will not stop. It right. will, I mean, you, so, yeah. but there's a mediator here. It's at substance P. Right? <laughs> it all boils down to it's substance P. It all comes down to substance yeah. P. It's
1: all sensory input. Um, and then in the brain, in the last five or six years, they've shown that substance P is the primary driver for mood disorders, anger, violence, addiction, PTSD. It's what and neurodegenerative disorders. Because
0: yeah. and and you're showing right there in that that the glutamate sensor. Yeah. And I remember I've read read a lot about the glutamate sensor being um, like um, GABA would be like relaxing glutamate is like very excitatory exactly and, and so you constantly same as, triggering that
1: same as substance p and that constant stimulation then burns out those microglia cells and you get neurodegeneration
0: wow yeah. huge
1: yeah and so this 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 is a simple process that typically isn't understand by the physicians because all they're thinking about is pharmaceutically how they can how they can manage it uh, but I don't think this was another one on. That's the one I think I was thinking about. Yeah, this is the one in the brain. So, this is what's going on in the brain, right? So, it's um, C fibers, those pain fibers we just showed you, is where the substance P is primarily released in the brain and also from uh, uh, sp- further up the brain coming down. But the substance P again attacks the microglias, leading to um, dopamine, cell loss, and other neurodegenerative disorders in the brain.
0: Okay. And That's the, here's,
1: here's the cell membrane permeability problem from the substance P. Then you get the wrong things in the brain, further increasing inflammation.
0: Yeah, and you can see from there it talks about the release of TNF alpha. Is that IL 6? I, I don't know. Uh, inter, interleukin 6? Or is that interleukin uh-huh. 8? I don't know. I don't know because it's got like a beta sign, I think. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure see where you on this. One. Either way, it's not a good cytokine. Right, and so cytokines have come up recently with the coronavirus because you talk about the cytokine storm, like That's your right. body just taking over, right. and you have an increase in TNF alpha and IL six. So right. substance P could be, you know, a huge yes. contributor to uh,
1: to that. Yeah. Sub- substance P is a major factor in coronavirus. Its right. substance P is what opens up the cell membranes, allowing viral infiltration. All the pre-existing conditions that makes Corona uh, lethal are elevated substance P diseases. Uh, these patients have elevated substance P before they get Corona. They still have elevated substance P after they get Corona, and that's why there's a lot of lingering symptoms. It's gonna, it's gonna be these constant, and that's. A little, that's a little bit what happens. So, when people have a bad bite and they get something laid on top of it, like a head trauma or a whiplash injury, they often can't recover until they get those substance P levels lowered back down again. Mm. There's t- too much constant micro trauma, micro irritation. Uh, so, you, you see, and that's going to be the same thing in coronavirus. You got to get those substance P levels back down before you can get rid of a lot of the um, things that are flared up because the the, vi- the infection itself will elevate your substance P levels
0: some too. Yes. So not just corona, just any viral infection. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I wanted to ask you, there's a lot of research done, and and it might be in that yellow book you showed, The Malocclusions of the Jaw, but like Weston A. Price, there's a book, Deep Nutrition by Shannon, Dr. Shanahan, mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about the jaw from it and it becoming more narrow. I have a very narrow face too, and that we've constantly kind of like de-evolved, like you said, and it's been since like the Industrial Revolution. There's been right. a lot of showing that, not eating these whole foods and going to this more gluten-based. Do you see kind of the the same – is that kind of the same, same idea? Day. Yes, okay. same
1: idea, yep. There's the Pottinger Cat Studies too, which are very – Important, right? Pottinger did a ten-year study on cats in which he fed them denatured dairy products, and they went from twenty twenty-two percent bone mass to five percent bone mass in four generations. And Their skulls shrunk. They've got to develop true allergies. <laughs> a lot of
0: fractured bones. <laughs> yeah. Wow. One last question on the on the bite. Um, there's a there's a very good doctor I know, uh, and uh, he's a dentist, and he aligns really kind of with with what you said but he he said uh that you know even many of his colleagues think that uh oh, just a slight overbite is okay your thoughts no <laughs> i want bite to bite i mean and I, and i'm sure maybe for you you you're, you could say well my results show that bite to bite is i don't yeah. know so i'm just kind of curious
1: yeah there's there's numerous reasons why end on end is better uh, when you treat people, there's a tendency to relapse. And if they're end-on-end, end, they have a very vertical stop that they can't shift from. If you give them a slight overbite, it's a slippery slope to slide back, right? And when they're stuck tip-to-tip, tip, they can't slide back. Um, but, but, yeah, there's if you're doing computerized jaw motion analysis, they're going to want to be tip-to-tip with okay. the proper support. Yep, there, there's biomechanical reasons that puts people out there that dentistry hasn't quite recognized.
0: Cool. Yeah. But well, most of
1: the vast pretty much all of orthodontists want a slight overbite.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: where the orthodontic profession is. In the past. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot trickier when you treat somebody if you have a slight overbite and you don't get the back teeth quite Right height, then they'll just slip back a little bit. When you're treating to a very definitive point, it's very critical on how, you, how critical on how high you get those back teeth. So it's a it's a tougher target to treat to uh, when you treat this way than if you treat this way.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, on, on that note, you just said something that I, I totally forgot about, and that is that the teeth can still grow. Like I'm 38 years old, and my teeth are, could still grow. Uh, given the retainers that, that you provide people, is that, is that right? They can st- some of the work that you do can cause the teeth to to grow and, and still move.
1: So we get the teeth taller, but the teeth aren't actually growing. It's the bone bending, uh, the jawbone bending that pushes the teeth up taller. Teeth are always trying to stay in touch with each other, but that uh, adjustment is from bone remodeling underneath those teeth. And so uh, when you wow. – this is about a 45-degree slope in most people's jaw joint. And when you bring the jaw forward, it drops down in the back. So those back teeth have to be taller the more you bring the jaw forward. Uh, and so a lot of that comes from this bending back on you a little bit and this straightening out and this warping up. And, and so oh, there's a, okay. a lot of bony shifting that goes on. Bone is very – what they call piezoelectric. Yes. So when you stress it, the electrical charge within that bone causes the bone shape to alter. And so you use that phenomenon to
0: get teeth taller. Okay. Very cool. Okay. And yeah. you can do that at any age. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Actually, can can you grab Adam? Can you grab the the retainers and just bring them? All? I just want to show them on the camera. You can kind of see the the difference with the retainers. I don't have them in right now, but but you can see they're just completely different. Um, how is that looking in the camera? Can people? Yeah, you can see it. It's just completely, it's I mean, a lower never, one. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this until I, I saw Dr. J. Um, and you can just see, here's my upper one. Um, yeah, so there it is. Um, and I come in monthly to get them adjusted, and that's pretty That's pretty common, I think, for most yes. patients, right? We come in monthly, you you see where the jaw's at, and we kind of move them around. Um, I wanted to, to talk about, so when I first came and saw you, one of the interesting things for me was, Yes. I had the overbite. Um, so my jaw needed to drop and get pushed forward. But another thing you said about me is that like the top of my mouth and the bottom of my mouth were not, um, like this is how messed up I was. (laughs) Like it wasn't even like they, they were off to the side on different planes. They weren't even like, not only was I not, (laughs) was my jaw need to get pushed forward, but, or the, the bottom one needs to get pushed forward. But, um, I wasn't even, you know, connecting on, (laughs) it was just totally messed up. Um, is that, is that something common that you see mm-hmm. people or people? Pretty common. Or, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's part of
1: the problem. That's the reason we use appliances we use. A lot of orthodontists use appliances that have an expansion screw in them. But those expansion screws, when you widen those appliances, are limited to moving you symmetrically out wider. And the vast majority of people, if you're treating them precisely, they have a slight asymmetry. Mm-hmm. So you need the ability to push one side out more than the other side. So when you're pushing a lot of teeth, you can push everything at once. But when it comes down to asymmetries, you have to slow down and move one tooth at a time, so that you don't push this side out. Use this side gang up as anchorage, so you don't want to overload your anchorage on this side. And so that's what we can do with those appliances: is treat asymmetrically, which
0: is very common. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I just started bringing my my six-year-old boy to you. So one of the reasons I brought him is I've noticed um, a lot of mouth breathing from him. He's only six years old. Like you would think that's not happening, but I noticed a lot of mouth breathing and there's been a lot of, ton of studies just with showing that mouth breathing, um, that causes fight or flight because you're in this fight or flight stance because um, you should be breathing through your nose. You should, there should be this, this pausing, this nice rhythmic breath. So it can basically cause you to hyperventilate in a, in a mm-hmm. sense um, even when you're at rest. So I noticed a lot of mouth breathing at night. He was having nightmares ish at night, uh, and he had some aggressive behavior. Um, I would I've been he's been coming to you probably maybe three months I like that, and uh, I've already noticed a huge change in aggression. That's not perfect, but like a huge drop. Um, so two things I want to talk about. One, I want to talk about the aggression, but um, also when uh, when you saw him, we brought him in the office. And you said, uh, yeah, you looked at him and you, you just kind of nonchalantly. You go, yeah, Joel, he's uh, he's off four millimeters is what you told me. <laughs> and I go, oh, okay, great. Four millimeters seems like nothing. And you looked at me and then you said, no, like most people I see are off by three millimeters. I think that's what you said. <laughs> so, so tell me like it's that minute, like four uh-huh. millimeters, three millimeters. Like right. then you're telling me he's a millimeter more than most kids or most people you see. That's a big. That's a big difference. Right
1: uh that's three millimeters probably average what we see okay uh when we do see some seven millimeter cases rarely um but that's primarily looking in the anterior posterior plane um even at so at three millimeters an eighth of an inch overbite Uh, so it's right at three millimeters that the range of So, so when you bite back here and you have to bite out here to bite food off and you have to go out here to control airflow when you talk, there's a hypermobility that's created in this joint. And it's right at about three millimeters that the hypermobility starts impacting that joint where you get you see a lot of clicking popping and yes. pretty significant wear and tear over time on that joint, on yep. the jawbones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I would actually hear him doing a lot of the clicking and stuff. So that's interesting. Um so then and then in terms of Aggression. I kind of wanted to go towards that because sure. I'm sure you get a lot of kids with aggression, addiction, yeah. autism. Can you kind of speak on some of the things that that you've seen in just your practice, and and maybe why that there's such a huge drop off in aggression and temperaments and stuff?
1: Yeah. So, so again, they think when you. Elevate the substance P in the body. It puts everybody a little bit on edge. It makes them uneasy, right? They get dis-ease, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that hyper, constant hyperactivity, they never can come down. And so they're just, it's a little bit like sleep deprivation, right? They get a little bit testy. Yes. Um, And um, substance P, again, has been shown in the brain to be the primary neurotransmitter affecting anger, violence, and addiction. Um, There should be a um, Twinkie defense for, for elevated substance P. Yeah. Right. Nobody's, I haven't seen any criminal lawyers taking run with this yet, but, but if the medical community was doing their job and the psychiatric community was doing their job and looking at these people and, 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 and understood this, they would be able to show that a number, a lot of the criminal behavior is lifelong, very elevated substance P levels.
0: Wow. Right.
1: Um, but yeah, so we, so like a, a, as a case example, I had a seventh grade boy, uh, who had, pre, he was special ed, autistic spectrum, uh, very violent. Um, wow. his mother brought him in, put him in appliances, uh, and it had such a profound impact on him that anytime he started acting up in class, his teachers would tell him, you need to go back and see your dentist, <laughs> right? And he ended up being the only person in special ed that got a high school diploma. Wow. Right. So it had a major transformation in his outcome in life and behaviors
0: now, how often did he um like what was the time frame from him from like when he saw you and then he's like permanently got better? was it like three years or I'm just kind of curious some people so, that no like, so he hey, yeah it's a process so yeah.
1: so you typically as you get the with the appliances, you can line up the jaw so you can have an immediate impact, and as him as his bite would wear down and he he would get back into more aggressive behavior, but, but it would have immediate impact.
0: And it just took a while to finish his treatment and, and to stabilize him. That's so cool. Yeah. Any other, um, are there any other like just memorable testimonials? I'm sure. I know you, every time I come to your office, I'm always like picking your brain. Like uh-huh. I'll give, I'll give the audience an example. Um, one day I saw like some spots on my, my kid and I was like, I don't know if there's like vital vitiligo or whatever. I go, Hey, Dr. J, uh, could, could could uh could an appliance be good for vitiligo? And you're like, actually yes, there's study So it's like every time I come see you, you're you've always it always comes down to substance P and like whether it's cancer, Vitiligo, like anything we've we've been talking about, but so I know you've got tons and tons of like awesome stories, especially with seizures and stuff. Um, but anything anything recently or any other just memorable testimonials that stand out to you?
1: So uh, yeah, so on the melanocytes, the uh, pigmented cells in your body are called melanocytes, mm-hmm. like melanoma, right? Uh, melanocytes are actually neural crest cells. So those are the cells that form brain tissue, right? And so pigmented tissue is actually intelligent tissue. It's not mm. – there's, there's a theory that the reason black athletes can perform better is because they have more pigment in their skin. They have a better sensory awareness around out of their body because of the pigmentation. Wow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. But – That's deep. Wow. But but there's um, published literature that says is a major regulator of melanogenesis of the formation of pigmented cells. And so, like, I had a 13-year-old Hispanic girl that came in with severe freckles all over her chest – to the point that she wore makeup entirely across her chest to cover this freckles, and we put her in mouthpieces, and three months later, six months later, I think it was, it was all gone, and then she disappears for a year, being a teenager, doesn't follow through on her appointments, yeah. keeps wearing her appliances, <laughs> and she comes back six months later, and now she has vitiligo. She's lost all pigmentation from her elbows down and her knees down. She's albino in those areas. Wow. Read fine tune her appliances. Six months later, it's all gone. <laughs> So you had some very, and then I've seen lots of other cases where the pigmentation changes as we treat people. But substance P is a major regulator of skin. Mm. Uh, So substance P is considered a fundamental mediator of eczema, psoriasis, acne, and those kind of things.
0: Anybody that's come into your office thinking, like, I don't even think you could probably help me, but I've heard you. You talk a good game about the substance P thing. Like, what the hell? I'll give it a shot. And it was, like, maybe something, again, like... Like vitiligo, I would never think about that. Like, that has nothing to do with your jaw, okay? Clearly, it has something to do with the sun or something, right? <laughs> Scott, you need to put more cream on your butt. I don't know. Is there anybody that's like coming to your office and you're like, well, let's just give it a shot? And then they, they you know, they get some great results. Well, we had, we've had a couple cancer cases like that. Oh, boy, here we yeah. go. <laughs> I had a
1: 68 year old uh, with uh, lymphoma, too many white blood cells in her lymph system, right? Um, they'd given her chemo to the point that it destroyed most of her blood cells, and so she needed a transfusion weekly. And at that point, they couldn't give her any more chemo, so they basically sent her home to die. Um, But I treated her granddaughter, and they brought her in, and she had had a partial made five years earlier when her lymphoma symptoms started, and they never got the bite quite right on the partial. So we put her in appliances, lined her up, and within six weeks, it was six weeks, she no longer needed any more transfusions. And she went on to fully recover from the lymphoma. Um, but we, you should be able, through modulating substance P, to probably reverse leukemia and lymphomas in 90 days. The, there's researchers that think that uh, substance P is the sole cause of leukemia. Oh. Right. So there's uh, substance P controls hematopoiesis, which is the formation of your blood cells in the bone marrow. That's all controlled by substance B. And so whether you have a platelet deficiency or you get mononucleosis or leukemia, lymphomas, multiple myelomas, all that's going to be heavily substance B uh, modulated. Wow. Yeah. And that's so cool. very, very clear research on this in the medical literature.
0: Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Just look for it. Just look for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, something I wanted to ask you about is uh, sport dentistry. Huh. And uh, we were talking about this the other day. It was actually before I started seeing you, uh, I remember Under Armour came out with this like special uh, mouth guard that you would put uh, in your upper – it was just the upper jaw, and it changed your bite slightly. And they were advertising 20% in uh, increase in like whatever, performance, strength. Right. I have no idea. Uh, I bought it just because I'm that kind of guy, and I wanted to see if it – anything and it felt good it, I, I think for me when I was working out and like doing burpees it I felt like it probably made me a better nose breather believe it or not then I ended up coming to see you and I was wearing the mouthpiece all the time so I just was like I, I don't care I don't need this anymore um, but yeah have you have you anything yeah, have you seen that
1: I'm very familiar with their program that what their research showed from my what I re- recollect was that it causes on average it had a 17 percent increase in strength. Uh, reduction in reaction time, uh, increased balance and increased endurance, and that's going to be explained by how the jaw sensory input affects the reticular formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have a seizure case I'm treating right now, and she's gone from um, I think she's gone from eleven and a half minute miles to eight and a half minute miles. Whoa! <laughs> she, so that's, a, that's a big difference. <laughs> big difference, right? <laughs> right on her. Yeah, yeah. She was just sitting this past week and had another drop. Uh, in timing so um, but uh, there's lots of literature on the effect of the bite on athletic performance uh, one of my cl- close friends in san antonio just did a study on uh, professional basketball players and they showed that jaw alignment had a significant impact on injury propensity oh, wow. right? and they think that has to do also substance p regulates um, the collagen matrix and so, if your calcium P levels are too far off, it alters your uh, quality of collagen in your body. But they think there's also a coordination factor there that people do—they don't quite react time enough, and they are more prone to injury uh, when when the bite's off.
0: Well, something we were talking about the other day is the vestibular system, mm-hmm. which uh, manages the way your balance and right. right, coordination. Um, and some of the training that I just recently did with the electric stim is with the vestibular, uh, is activating that. But there's a connection, right, with TM the TMJ, the nerve going into the the vestibular system, right? Correct. So that would make sense, right?
1: Yeah, we see a lot of uh, Meniere's syndrome, uh, dizziness, vertigo type disorders with jaw dysfunction. Wow, yeah. and and then you get varying degrees of it, right? The, actually, the experiment where um, where they muscle test you and try pushing you over. Would be a vestibular reaction also for the body to brace and respond appropriately to a stimulus, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Also, on that note, I'm just thinking if you can balance the jaw, doesn't, if you start to balance the jaw, does it start to also move kind of the cranial bones? Isn't there some, I'm just I'll curious. That too. Yep. And then, wouldn't that, like, again, from the head down, affect my posture and how I hold my head and et cetera? I mean, there's gotta be some downstream yeah. effect there, too.
1: There's uh, lots of articles on head posture and bite. So typically, as the jaw goes back, you go into a more forward head posture, and as you bring the chin forward, the head goes back to get away from that, and so people end up with better cervical curvature, better cervical stability, and, and better overall posture. The Japanese came here in 1975 and saw what a group of dentists in the Midwest were doing, and they went back home, and they pulled a major researcher out of every university and threw him into a think tank, and they've done 40 years plus of research on bite destruction in animals. And every time you shorten the teeth on one side on an animal, it increases muscle tone on the opposite side of the body through the, because of reticular formation. And so all of these animals get scoliosis when you throw the bite off. Right? <laughs> And so they've done dogs, cats, monkeys, front ones backwards. There's a rat study they did in which they ground the teeth down caused scoliosis, went back and built the teeth back up on the rat. And they were 87, 87% effective at reversing the scoliosis by building the teeth back up again. Wow. So I have a client right now that we put him in appliances. Um, He's quit coming in for two years and he was wearing, he kept wearing just the lower half, which is the wrong half to keep wearing. And he developed, (laughs) he developed very severe scoliosis over 40 degree curvature uh, in two years at age 45. All right. And went to the chiropractor and they said, this has got to be here all your life. He goes, no, it's only been here for two years. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, his is corrected probably about 70% as we've uh, got him back into appliances. Wow. But that, yeah, the, systemic tone. So when you when you throw the bite off and you affect those proprioceptors and its impact on reticular formation alters tone throughout the whole body on the opposite side of the body. Yeah. So a lot of I get a lot of complaints where people say I'm just tense on one side of my body. They'll come in Yeah. Yeah, being hypertonic on one side. They'll have neck, shoulder,
0: leg, yes. Something on one side. Um God Oh, something I want to ask you with the retainers, also that the ones that you especially make. Um, not only is it obviously moving the jaw around all that stuff, but also every time I now that I'm wearing these retainers and I'm biting a, a, a different now I'm biting differently. Mm-hmm. Am I also forming new uh, repatterning my brain and like am I forming new neuromuscular connections with how I bite? I was just kind of curious. Were, that's true. So it's like it a is. twofold effect, right? Twofold effect. Okay.
1: I think another real important thing to understand that's. Almost always overlooked by the medical community is that um, it's like in the, 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 the Amen Clinic. Have you ever heard yeah, of the Amon yeah, Clinic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Amon is looking at regional cerebral blood flow. That's a key search term in mm-hmm. medical literature. Regional cerebral blood flow is controlled by your jaw nerve, your trigeminal nerve right? Yeah. That's why when a boxer gets hit in the jaw, he passes out. You put too much stimulus, shuts down brain blood flow, and you pass out. Oh. Right? Or that's why you get a brain freeze if you stimulate this too much with cold, Yes. right? right? Um, and so regional cerebral blood flow uh, can lead to TIAs, transient ischemic attacks. Uh, what brain, is that? Uh, that's a, a, a short-term stroke. Okay. Right. Or you can get um, brain fog um, you just get a lot of any, any time people you can get a, in, in those TIAs, half the body can go numb. They, they'll think you go into an emergency room. They think you had a stroke. They do $15,000 worth of diagnostic testing and three hours later, you're perfectly fine and they never can understand what happened. Right. Wow. Cause they never, ever the neurologic community, I've never, ever had them once to consider trigeminal vascular disorder. It's just not in their playbook. Yeah. Yeah, but but a lot of people can get, and that's that's a be a big factor in elderly people. Like, you, I have one elderly person I'm treating, and we fine tune her bites, and she's bright, alert, tells jokes. And her, as her bite wears off, she'll become comatose, just sits in her chair, and just stares. She can't can't function. Wow. So there's a lot of that on aging and. Uh, senior care. Soft diets are really bad for elderly people, which...
0: Which is like what they go to, right? Mm-hmm. As, as they get older, here, eat this right. mushy food. There's a,
1: <laughs> and soft loss of molar support is really critical in elderly people. Uh, there's a lot of work that's been done on elder care and, and bite degeneration. Uh, loss of molars is a major factor in um, becoming more frail and
0: uh, senile as you age. hmm you just said something that struck my mind. I have a client with AFM, acute flaccid um, myelitis. Would something like that, you think, like this tone, you're talking about this tonality, this, this, um, it's, the body is like flaccid, it's you know, limp. Uh-huh. Would that, I would think, redoing the... It may have some effect on it. That, yeah. is,
1: that is in cerebral palsy, the primary effect on cerebral palsy is, one thing about cerebral palsy, they all, all typically have very severe overbites. If you look at cerebral palsy kids, they have severe overbites. But the um, the hypertonicity, which is the primary characteristic of cerebral palsy, would be explained could be explained just by this. And the lack of brain flow could explain for why the brain doesn't develop in all those cases, that it may be birth defect uh, just in here, just the exacerbated jaw dysfunction on, yeah. on infants.
0: And then something else you mentioned about just the, the, the periphery, and the cold, and I, we were talking about it before. Could we talk about that again? About sure. like how you said, yeah, your your grandmother or your mother was right when she said, don't go out on the don't don't go out on outside when it's cold and like without a jacket on, or right. don't don't get wet. And then, right. can you kind of talk about that whole sensory and, right. and why that and why you could get sick? You, they right. were right.
1: Right. So medicine is missing a, a, an understanding of the sensory system, and the sensory system is modulatory as to whether you get a cold or flu. That is, it's cold. Your mother knew you weren't supposed to go out with the wet hair or without your earmuffs on or your neck protected because it's this sensory right here that has that high density that can impact substance P levels, opening you up to an electrical storm and the viral infiltration, right? Mm-hmm. So the first characteristics of cold and flu isn't infectious, they're neurological, right? You start, you know, you start sneezing, that's a clear neurological response, uh, you know, coughing, Sneezing and coughing are all substance-based phenomenon, Um, uh, but but when you get cold exposure and you get this trigger in your body and the virus gets in, then it, and that's why the vaccines for flus aren't too effective because they're missing the sensory part. They can't they can't protect you well enough to keep other other types of viruses getting in. Whether it's not the one they vaccinated for, it's going to be another another type.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah yeah yeah.
1: Uh, and that's going to be the same thing on COVID. You'd expect COVID to get quite a bit worse as we go into the cold months.
0: Yeah, and that's why it, you, you said yeah. So when we get into the winter months, we always see this. I always thought it was because like vitamin D levels plummet. The sun is uh, not as prevalent, which I'm sure that's also a bit side part, factor. factor yeah, but uh, factor. but yeah, I never but, looked at it from that substance P yeah. lens. Yeah, that's S- amazing.
1: Sensory part. Yeah,
0: love it. Um, man, is there anything that uh? that I didn't, well, I'm, I'm going to ask you about some of the exciting projects that you're working on. But uh, besides that, is there anything I, that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you?
1: Um, I think we got through the, so, so typically with jaw dysfunction, patients develop a generalized hypersensitivity syndrome. So my typical patient, when they come in, they're sensitive to light and to noise and to hot and to cold and to food and to drugs and to stress. They just overreact to all sensory input, right? A lot of times people will eat something and they have a bad reaction and they think it was what they put down there, not the process of chewing. So substance P levels naturally and normally become elevated with chewing. And so there's a blip in substance P. Substance P controls smooth muscle contraction, so that's what turns on the gut motility. But <clears throat> if you're already running a very high substance P levels, you add a little bit more to it, you're going to react to the food and think that you can't tolerate certain foods, uh-huh. and you may not. That may have you know you may have developed autoimmunity and and um, hyperimmune response to certain things. But a lot of it's going to be this chronic, long term underlying jaw dysfunction that keeps you keeps the body hypersensitized all the time.
0: Yeah. And I I think one of the big takeaways I remember before when I first started seeing you uh, because I was debating whether to come see you or I had researched some other guys that like they shove a balloon up your nose and like blow it out and it's supposed to like change your – the bones and your cranial structure to like – and that – I was looking at ways to help me from stop snoring. And uh, I remember I told you that and you go, yeah, that will work in the short term, but because you never realigned your jaw, you're just going to go back to – you'll just eventually go back to what you – but your structure is already is. And I remember, you know I think that's like a big message, I think, for people to understand because I had a friend who was going to see another orthodontist for sleep issues as well. I said, you got to go see my guy, Dr. J. And he goes, no, 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 I'm just going to go see this guy. Okay, same thing. He got a mouth appliance. He sleeps great, but like you said, once you take the appliance out, you still have the same jaw, (laughs) so you're just going to manifest the same issues. And by the way, this person has asthma and allergies, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Um, So... um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a big a misconception that like, people probably won't understand unless they, they come hang out with you for a little bit and, you know, right. experience it. Right.
1: Now, the, one of the problems, so we have two noses. This nose feeds this lung, and this nose feeds this lung. And if you have a deviated septum, which is 9% of all babies are born with deviated septums. Some of them get more as they get trauma through life. But if you have a deviated septum and you can't breathe through this nose, this cheek doesn't grow. If this cheek doesn't grow, it dreams up shoving your jaw back into your skull on this side. So that's a lot of why we see a lot of asymmetry in our patients. is because of airway issues mm. that we can't breathe through their nose. If you can't breathe, so normally you breathe through one side for a while, it becomes naturally engorged, swollen, and your body automatically switches to the other side. But if one side doesn't work... Yeah. And the one side gets plugged up, then you have to mouth breathe. Mm -hmm. And if you mouth breathe, then the tongue drops out of the roof of the mouth and the whole upper jaw is going to shrink on you in size too. So there's some major growth developmental issues tied around the airway also.
0: When I came and saw you too, one of the things you had mentioned to me, you said, uh, you know, you blink a lot. (sighs) And uh, I was like, oh, okay. The funny thing is my mom would always comment, uh, you're blinking a lot. <laughs> she would be like, every time I see her, you know, being a mom. And I'm like, I have no idea. I feel great. I mean, I, I don't know. And then every time I would come see, like every month, you would say, eh, even you were, you were able to see, it's like, it looks like your blinking is like stopped 30%, 30% or something. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't notice. Um, so it's just interesting. And then I think the TMJ, you said, actually, it, you know, connects to the eyes here. and So, so you can see it, that hyper. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's trigeminal sensory that triggers blink reflex. It's you know it's it's the irritation on your eye that makes you blink, and so if this nerve is hyper agitated will agitate all the time. Like in Parkinson's, seventy percent of Parkinson's patients have a blink reflex defect; they don't either blink too often or not enough, um, which is a very strong indication that there's a bite component to Parkinson's.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and with the asymmetries, I also notice on on like the side of my face. I, I, this could be all just I don't know if this is true or not, but I know for me, like I have like a, kind of like a wrinkle I think on this side of my like where my eyes are. And then this one I don't. So, uh, And I think this is the side that I like blink more. I was, or yeah. was. Um, and I just assumed that had to do with some, probably my jaw and stuff. And I'm assuming that's some kind of asymmetry that I, that I formed over time. I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> that's <laughs> why I'm coming to see you fix me. <laughs> um, very cool. Um, you ready to get into the, some, like, the lightning round of questions? Sure. Awesome. If, if the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say?
1: Uh, it's been a long road of <laughs> of just constant micro discoveries. There's yeah. just been lots of stuff that's been revealed to me throughout the years, and I'm just eternally grateful to have the uh, opportunity to experience this with patients because they're they're what mostly have taught me what I know. It's it's just this coincidental stuff that pops up all the time, and that they bring you problems, and you go research them. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's, it's been a great, great career. Yeah. Very, very rewarding.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what are, uh, what are some choices that you think you made that made you who you are today?
1: Um, well, I, th- I was born and raised on a farm. And so I was i um, I'm a hard worker. And so it's not being afraid to go, sp- or having the energy to put in the extra work and to go look up stuff for patients all the time. It's really what yeah. makes a big difference. Um, my wife has real doubt as to how teachable what I do is because she doesn't think there's that many people out there that have that kind of extra energy to go the extra mile to keep exploring beyond their their daily tasks. Um, and so that's.
0: Yeah, I love that. I get that, too. I get yeah. that from you. So thank you. Yeah. Um, Is there anybody, uh, you know, you're such an inspiring individual, just everything that you do. Is there anybody in, like, the health or wellness world or dentistry? Is there anybody that, like, inspires you?
1: Uh, There is. Um, I I look, um, I think I probably would be more attached to a lot of researchers that dig and dig. And I'm totally appreciative of a lot of the research they do. But there's very few researchers that can look at the big picture and go back and integrate and put stuff back together. And, and right, they're all running down a rabbit hole and going to a real fine little point. And it's hard for most researchers. I have great admiration for what they're doing, pursuing these little. But I, I deal in a world of a whole person, whole body, and I got to put them back together again, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I admire a lot of those researchers and. And uh, what they've discovered as uh, just recently on a researcher from Spain, I emailed appreciating, well uh, told know much I appreciate a lot of their literature is published.
0: You guys are like kind of sharpening each other's iron, right? Yeah. You guys are like <laughs> in it together and you're, you're sharpening his sword. He's sharpening yours. It's kind of right. this mutual like love for the game. Right. Right. You know, right. that's cool. Yeah. Any, um, is there any like books? I'm a big reader. Like I said, I tried to find your Substance P book. I couldn't find it. Um, <laughs> is there any books that you would recommend that, like, had a huge impact on your life that you recommend other people read?
1: Um, the one you mentioned earlier was The Body Electric, um, The Effects of Light on Health by Ott. That's a great book. Okay, I um, read that one. Another book, um, The Emperor of All Maladies. It's a book on oncology, um, really critical of the oncology community. Um, that's about the main choice. but just uh, yeah, having that eclectic perspective is really important. yeah and as uh, we're an organism that has ha, you can impact through a lot of different tools uh, a lot of a lot of ways to get stuff into the body. Yep. a lot a lot of things that can go wrong because of our complex nature.
0: yeah yeah
1: that's the other thing on um, in trying to understand how substance P impacts the body. It's like chaos theory. In chaos theory, when you throw a monkey wrench into a complex system, the outcome's not predictable. When Under chaos theory, there's 2% gets this and 5% gets that and 3% gets that. So there's a very broad distribution of chaos. It's very chaotically response. And medicine can't quite understand that phenomenon right Mm -hmm. that is when they showed that people with jaw dysfunction have very high medical utilization rates they showed that there was a very broad spectrum of symptoms that they get at a very high rate Mm -hmm. much higher than the population in general but they never went back the other direction they don't take people with high medical utilization rates and screen them for
0: tmj right right it's like oh that's interesting (laughs) here you go here's that study yeah right more work for you unfortunately or more fortunately (laughs) i don't know um, any, um, any rituals or practice or hacks that you do on a regular basis? Some people have a like gratitude journals. Is there anything that you, that you like to do?
1: I like doing my pushups every day.
0: Oh, tell me about that.
1: <laughs> I started that a couple years ago. Uh, and so I do a couple sets every day before I go to bed. I sleep much more soundly. Um, it's, it's, it's just too easy to do. You do it before bed. Before bed. It doesn't, like, rev your body up. Uh, it's just, like, a high-intensity thing that I do for – I can do a set about 40 seconds. Um, and so, yeah, I do one before my shower, one after my shower, and it doesn't rev me up. I sleep, I sleep much better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. You know, um, 2020 has been such a crazy, crazy year, right? Um, a lot of just negativity, despair. But I I really think it's about what you make of it. Like 2020 has been a great year for me, and I don't say that like in a gloating way. It's just – it's really just been my mindset about it. So I want you to finish this sentence. 2020 was the greatest gift because
1: it gave me time away from my practice, and I started uh, my cancer project. I had a younger brother who passed away about a year and a half ago uh, from throat cancer, and he wouldn't listen to anything I said and (laughs) got me motivated to go out and change the – Cancer community, what they did for him, everything they did for him made him worse. He would have lived much longer if they'd done nothing, right? Yeah, And so my cancer project, I'm um, trying to enlicit cooperation with oncologists to treat uh, some cancer, adjunctively treat cancer. Um, Typically, when you do cancer treatment, there's no preventative thing at all that they do, Um, and the literature is very clear on the impact of substance P, and so I think that they may be receptive, I may be able to turn a few heads in, in a few years uh, to get them to be looking at, at substance P levels. Because right now, uh, that is, um, there's l- people recommending using a substance P antagonist for treating cancer, um, but mm-hmm. that's, yeah, I, about that. that's only gonna help the patient while they're under that medication. It's not gonna help them after the fact, um, they're going to be trying to block the substance P and leave the substance P levels high in the body, which really doesn't fix the real problem, yeah. right? They're trying to mask the real problem. And so I'm pretty excited about working on this project. And I've cut back a day a week now and work trying to work on this uh, project.
0: I was going to ask you my next question, what exciting projects are you working on? And I'm, <laughs> that's that, that was going right. to be it, right? The cancer project. Yeah. That's very cool.
1: I also have a um, weekend place that I go to that I'm building out a small orchard and setting up a... Uh, I've got it's got a lot of rocks on it, so I've gotten into building rock walls lately. That's my uh, pet in pet fun on the weekends these days is building rock walls, dry dry stacked uh, rock walls.
0: Yeah. Okay. So explain <laughs> that to me. What a rock wall? Like, is it like you are just kind of like stacking rocks? Yeah. And, so uh, rocks. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I so, so Paul so there, Paul so s- is like somebody. I, is that you? Do you know who I'm talking about? Paul Check? Okay. Uh, so he does it like it is like like this. It's like exercise for him, but it's also like therapeutic. It's, it's like very this, very um, therapeutic. huh and it's like this. It's an art um, form.
1: Yeah, it's an art form. It's um, it's good exercise. Yes, it's like a mental exercise when you do it. Yeah. And then so I'm I'm building um, some stairs. It's property's a little bit hilly, so I'm building some stairs. I build I'm building a wall to hide my equipment from road view. Um, I'm building a number of retaining walls. So very I'm cool. Got, I'm not going to run out of rocks anytime <laughs> soon. So
0: <laughs> very neat um before I ask uh, the last question which is where can people find you I just also wanted to to because I'm sure a lot of people are going to see this interview and they're gonna want to come see you but they might be out of state um, it, it, would you would you say that people can can they it, for what you do because like I've been seeing you for over two and a half years uh, I mean I know everybody's different but even if they came and saw you they had to fly in and see you once or twice I don't know. 3 times a year. Is that still sufficient enough to make a dent in the jaw or do you do things virtually? I'm just kind of curious.
1: So, we have a fairly large fly-in clientele. We're right by the Oakland Airport at the end of the runway. Um and so uh, we do a number of people virtually too. Uh, okay. We teach them how to do their own adjustments and we zoom with them while they're doing those work and guide their guide them through that. Um and so, because, yeah, what we do is hard to find s- services everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we have a we have people coming from all over the world, you know, from England and Singapore and elsewhere um, to for our services.
0: That's awesome. Last but not least, where Ten. can people find you?
1: So I'm in Alameda, California. I can be found at tmjcalifornia.com. Um, our phone number is 510-522-6828. Uh, we're typically booked out maybe six, eight weeks. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know. Yes, I, we, I know that. But uh, they can find me on the Internet. I, res- I answer emails. Um, and if they call in, we can set up um, uh, Zoom, con- Zoom interviews also, consultations.
0: Awesome, man. Dr. J, thanks for being on the show.
1: been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Boom. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It uh, it really it really means a lot to me. Seriously, thank you. Um, you know, it takes a lot of work to make this show, so anytime that you listen, you follow, you subscribe, you share it with your friends, it makes a huge difference for me and how I can and how I'm viewed and how I'm searched for. So if you can leave a review, please do so. Go to iTunes and leave a five star review. Let people know what you got out of this show. If you got a nugget or you something that resonated with you, share it with people. That's how this show gets discovered, and it really helps me out. Also, go to joelevancoaching.com. That's where I leave the show notes, the resources, the links, everything we talked about. I put it in a nice little format so you guys can find this stuff, and if there's anything that you heard on the show, you can find it there. Also, <laughs> go to joelevancoaching.com, guys. I offer life coaching and health coaching. So if you're interested in moving the needle, you know, this has been a crazy year, the pandemic and everything. If you're interested in moving the needle going into next year, let's do this. Text me, email me, call me, and leave me a note. Last but not least, guys, if you're the Bay Area, you're in San Francisco, I am doing electric stim therapy with the newbie. Check it out, it helped out Mike Tyson, and I'm helping out plenty more athletes and plenty of people that are in like life-ending pain and injury, and I'm putting that to bed. So please reach out so I can help. (laughs) Anything else? Uh. No? That's it?